0: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive,
2: center field, hit the
1: wall, grand slam! is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. All
0: right, we've nearly done it all. Catchers, third base, outfield, relief pitchers. We've saved the best for last. Welcome to starting pitcher preview part one and welcome to Chris's chair squeaking in the background. That was really oppor- <laughs>
2: inopportune. I'm sorry for the, the timing of that. That was... Um,
0: I had this perfect intro ready could to go. Have really,
2: I could have saved it for, <laughs> for at least another couple of seconds and instead <laughs> I just I noticed I'm looking at myself in the camera and I'm not quite in the middle of my screen and that really bothered me. So I'm trying to get, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see me trying to fiddle with it. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Frank. Do you want to start over?
0: No, no. We're just going to keep rolling there. We've got a, a squeaky chair. We've got a clankety-clankety keyboard from Chris, but alas. We've got a lot of squeaky wheels
2: at Pitcher Something as like well. Welcome am I right?
0: to Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, February 24th. I am Frank Stample, joined, of course, by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today is the first... Of a three-part preview, breaking down starting pitchers, first and foremost, today on the podcast. The state of starting pitching, we're going to talk strategy, top 20 in ADP, and then for the next two podcasts, I'm planning SP 21 through 50 in ADP for part two, and then SP 50 and beyond after that for preview part three. True story, before we started the podcast, Scott kind of scolded me he reprimanded me for having such a long rundown but Scott I mean it's starting pitcher bud
1: oh there's a lot to talk about (laughs) at starting pitcher um for sure this is this is the position that's the most fun to talk about I would say been looking forward to this for a long time it's just that
2: it's just that Scott's got it all all up in the dome he doesn't need
1: all these notes well that's the thing Frank how much are you actually going to be able to say
2: well, and that's that's not true. The way Scott prepares for this podcast is he handwrites several pages. Scott, show the people your notes.
1: Oh, I don't no. That that's that's <laughs> that's just an in season thing that I do, um, so that I can be, I usually do it too,
0: Scott. I mean, I still, I've got this little notepad here. I ride, take a bunch of notes just like all day long on, on anything that pops up. I'll have like a, yeah. a swing it's strike rate in the guys, corner it's and wild that you guys are handwriting. <laughs> it's crazy.
2: I was playing shuffleboard last week and I was trying to write the score on the chalkboard and I couldn't remember how to write an eight.
0: That seems just like a problem, like I Chris. could not get my mind.
2: Like I, I was just like, I could not get my mind around it. All right. Well, because that's how little, that's
0: how rarely I handwrite. Enough time wasted. Let's see if we can keep this podcast under ninety minutes. That's the over under that I'm setting here at the start of today's podcast. Uh, before we can talk about strategy, I'm going to lay the foundation. I'm going to paint you a nice little picture here, Bob Ross style. Uh, where are we really at when it comes to starting pitchers? Last season, there was twenty four thousand four hundred and two innings pitched by starting pitchers. That was the lowest amount by far. Since 1998, when the league expanded to 30 teams, 2011 represents the most recent peak when there were nearly 29,300 innings pitched by starting pitchers. Uh, It's mostly been a steady decline every year since then, which makes sense. I mean, that's basically what we've been saying the past couple of years in in fantasy baseball. Anyway, of course, you see that reflected in the individual leaderboard. As uh, last season, there were just four starting pitchers with 200 plus innings. Zach Wheeler, Walker Buehler, Adam Wainwright, and Sandy Alcantara. For reference, in 2019, there were 14 of those starting pitchers with 200-plus innings. In 2018, there were 13 of those. The same thing could be said for 180 innings. Last year, there were 20 who met that threshold. In each of 2019 and 2018, there were 32 of those. Of course, Scott, we'll start with you. We were coming off of a completely unique, shortened 2020 season. So perhaps we see those numbers tick back up a little bit here in 2022. I think that's part of why it's so hard to project pitchers this upcoming season, because we had that huge jump. And really, we just don't know how it's going to affect each starting pitcher. I mean, it could affect some one person completely differently than another. So that's really, I think, kind of the start of looking at starting pitchers this upcoming season and trying to figure out not only your strategy, but how to project them moving forward is the fact that we're really coming off of a completely unique situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that specific aspect of it, you just take it case by case. And and obviously, you know, somebody like Corbin Burns, I mean, it was a big jump in innings for him. It it would have been anyway. It, it just would have happened in 2020 as opposed to 2021 because you know mm. he spent so much of his career in the bullpen previously. Then you other on the other hand, somebody like Zach Wheeler. I mean, he's used to handling a big workload. Obviously, he didn't in 2020 because nobody did. But I don't really think it's something to worry. I, I think there are bigger issues at play here, much bigger issues actually. I think the two there were, there were two landscape-changing developments for, for pitchers last year. The first was the introduction of the new ball, which was not applied consistently, we now know, but it was in the mix, and presumably it'll be even more in the mix moving forward as they, they flush out the old balls, you, use up that old supply, and uh, they're replaced by nothing but the new balls. Uh, so, you know, the ball didn't carry as well. Home runs weren't as easy to hit. Uh, and that obviously helped starting pitchers, I think especially the, the middle class at starting pitcher. And a middle class re-emerged at the position uh, when previously it seemed like you had to be this otherworldly bat-misser to survive the home run barrage we saw in, uh, particularly in 2019, but throughout the juice ball era. So that was one change. The second mid season, the foreign substance ban and the immediate drop in spin rates we saw across the league, I think that had the effect of and 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 you know over time spin rates kind of normalized they didn't they didn't stay down as much as they were when when it first happened in june and that's that's a separate matter but I, I think the overall effect of that was the most high-end pitchers became, they, they, they came back down to earth ever so slightly. They weren't quite as overpowering and, and, and not as consistently overpowering. And I think that helped the middle class at the position as well. So I, I think the position has gone from extreme highs and lows to having now a very large middle class that mostly skews high. So I feel very different about my approach to the position this year than last year when famously I was basically just draft every starting pitcher you can as early as you can.
0: Yeah, and for the most part, Scott, I've been with you in attacking starting pitching that way so far this offseason. Doing some of this research, my mind has started to change a little bit. I'll talk about it here. You mentioned the sticky stuff uh, the crackdown would happen, you know, around early June basically, and, and how that was affected in the numbers. And, and it very clearly was. So, league wide starting pitcher uh, numbers from April through May 402 ERA, 8.98 K per nine, 1.23 whip from June 1st on all starting pitchers in the league, 4.50 ERA, 8.4 K per nine, 1.31 whip. So, nearly half of a run in ERA. For the entire league of starting pitchers, uh, you know, we saw that jump and from the first two months to the final four a months. K per inning, right? Uh, it's about basically half a K, half a, a K, half K, K per K, inning. But yeah,
2: that's even more. That's even bigger than it sounds because K per inning inf- is inflated when pitchers are giving up more hits and more runs because there are more batters per inning. So that drop off is is even more you know, significant than it seems, at least potentially.
0: Yeah. And and what I was going to say, so the first part I wanted to get to was workload. We spoke about that. I wanted to talk about just overall performance. And I mentioned the difference between the first two months versus the final four months. And we, you know, we'll talk about Gary Cole a little bit later on, but he's not the only one, you know, Brandon Woodruff. I was researching him today. I I found out, you know, he wasn't nearly as good over the final four Mm -hmm. months as he was in the first two months. But really what it came down to was that, Starting pitcher ERA has really jumped around the the last five full seasons. 4.34 overall last year, 4.54 in 2019, 4.19 in 2018, 4.49 in 2017, 4.34 in 2016. And overall, I just think that trying to predict pitching year in and year out it's so hard. There's so much variance year over year, whether it's due to pitcher performance, the ball, sticky stuff. I mean, we constantly have to battle all of these different factors. And originally, I was with you Scott, I was thinking like, "All right, I'm going to wait on pitching this year." But now the more that I think about well, it, like we just it's so hard, it's so hard, hard to, to predict year over, over year. Simplify
1: what I'm saying. Well, I mean, right. 10 years ago waiting on pitching mean drafting your first in round 9. Like we're not we're not going back to that. It's just relative to last year. Things are kind of back to normal as far as normal is interpreted by people who've played fantasy baseball for a long time.
2: But I would point out that <clears throat> we were drafting pitchers inefficiently last year. You know, we overreacted to some of the trends that we oh, had they, seen, it and it, it wasn't just way, yeah. Well, but I don't think it was just <laughs> because so much of, changed, right? But I don't think it was just because of those changes because those changes mm. affected the whole pool. It was. I, I, I did if, this. If
1: I if I had known the effect those changes would have, certainly I would have approached the position.
2: Right, but like, I, I'm. I, I wrote a piece last year with the title "We're Drafting Pitchers Earlier than Earlier Than Ever," but we're worse at drafting them than ever. And what I found was that while pitchers pitching over the p- previous five seasons had been, you know, the prices had been inflated pretty dramatically. We had gone from maybe twenty. 15 to 20 starting pitchers picked in the first 100 picks most years, too. I think last year it ended up being like 33 or something like that, maybe more. But what I found was that the shape of pitching results hadn't really changed. If you looked at how pitchers drafted in specific spots or in specific tiers at the position, you know, how they ended up playing that the next season. It was basically like the first two, maybe three rounds were pretty good bets. And then after that, like you had you didn't really have a better chance of hitting on a pitcher from the eighteen to twenty-five range as from the thirty-five to forty Like the the results were pretty similar. And that that was also true from, you know, the fourth and fifth rounds to the eighth and ninth rounds. You really didn't see what? much difference between fourth round and I think it ended up going to about the 11th round and it was like the 12th round and later where you started to see pitchers you know, really return even less value. But what we've seen over the last few years, over the last half decade, is that unless a pitcher has earned the, our trust enough to be a first or second or maybe third round pick, that's probably, they're, they're probably not a great investment.
1: Well, you're, you're kind of you're that, kind of saying something similar to what I'm saying. Because you're saying what you're getting, right? But I'm, right that, but I'm saying it didn't change that much last year,
2: right? But I'm saying it didn't change much. That makes
1: sound like a large upper middle class at the position,
2: right? But what I'm saying is that didn't change much last year. And, and I, so the, the the difference between the third and the fourth and fifth round pitchers who get pushed up, those are often, if you look at historically, it's like the guys that we think are going to make the leap, the guys who have flashed it, or the oh, guys I don't think who,
1: anybody needs to make the leap in the, you know, basically from eight to 25 in the starting pitcher rankings. I, I think they're all, if, if they just are who we think they are, then they'll be well worth the investment
2: or, or like, but like Julio Arias, he's done it for one season. You know, that's, right. that's what I mean. Those type of guys or, you know, Sandy Alcantara hasn't just done it for one season, but kind of Aaron Nola. I think he's really good and I'm I'm higher on him than the consensus. But, you know, there are questions. Robbie Ray's done it for one year. Um, Freddie Peralta done it for one year. So what I mean is like it's the guys who we talk ourselves into f- and tend to overlook like one flaw or another, whether it's and injuries with Chris with Chris sale or lack of track record with Logan Webb and Freddie Peralta, you know, those are the types of guys who we tend to make those bets on because it's just, we get upside and it's just like, ah, oh, Logan, mm-hmm. think about how good Logan Webb can be. But historically right. that range of starting pitchers has been a bad investment.
0: Yeah. Which yeah. I think that's uh, part of the, that's part of what I was trying to get between at between
1: like a Logan Webb and a Max Fried though, as far as that goes.
0: Well, they're not going right. that far off in ADP right now. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Max Free, like you, could, you is, could
1: handpick the Logan Webb and say, "Oh, we're taking too big of a swing here."
0: Right, but
2: that's just, but that's how it is every year. If we were, I guess my point is, if we were good collectively as a fantasy industry at picking, like, well, okay, not Logan Webb, but Max Fried. right? But if you just we don't were know. As, if we were good at, th- at at actually predicting that, then Logan Webb wouldn't be the 63rd pick overall
0: basically you know? chris like the way that i've interpreted this even dating back to last year is that the pitchers drafted early and i mean this this seems obvious but the pitchers drafted earlier are more likely to return on your investment than yeah, the they, ones well, they, that are drafted in that next tier in the middle tier uh and scott like the point of me bringing up the previous years era year over year and why it's so hard to predict is just because the middle class was great last year, and I I agree with you it was, and based on the landscape that we saw last season, I think it should be moving forward, but how much can we trust that environment to remain this season when so many well, things yeah, change I mean, year over year? That's why I don't know. If the environment know,
1: changes, yes. then obviously... It, but, but th- we won't know obviously we, the analysis changes, but, but
2: it's not, but it's not, but we won't, know it, just, it ha- you, we won't you know it until we won't know it until it pull happens that out
1: of the clear blue sky. You can only
2: go with what you know, right? But it's not just the environment changing. It's the, it's the archetype of pitchers who tend to get pushed into that range that like basically that if you're trying to figure out if a pitcher is worth investing in, if a pitcher is going to be a good investment historically, it's basically, has he done it more than once? If he has, and he doesn't currently have injury issues, then he's probably a pretty good bet to return, you know, a good value on your investment after that. And like, I think Kevin Gosman is a good example. Kevin Gosman's done it more than once. You know, it was a t- shortened 2020, but he backed it up in 2021. And I think you can trust Kevin Gosman to do that again.
1: But um, I, I think that's true for the majority of these pitchers going in this range. Max, well, Fried, that, that's Jose what we Rio, tell ourselves. Luis Castillo uh, Frankie Montas, Charlie Morton,
2: right, but we're but we're overlooking a lot of flaws. Like Jose Barrios has been dropping for five years in a row before last season. Uh, Jack Flaherty, I mean, I don't know if people have looked at the underlying numbers on Jack Flaherty when they're drafting him, you know, as the twenty fourth starting pitcher
1: because he, man, it was bad last well, year. And we'll get but, into the specific. Kind of making the case Jack Flaherty's overrated, which is. Right, right, but but those are just the two
2: first names that I looked at who are in a row.
1: Okay. Right. Overall, anyway,
0: look, we've done enough table setting. I disagree, (laughs) I guess, is what I'm getting at. Scott, overall, (laughs) what is your draft strategy when it comes to starting pitchers this season? It seems like you are more willing to wait and invest on that middle class than you have been in years past.
1: Yes. I'd like to get a lot of it to sort of hedge my bets. It's not always possible particularly the deeper the league is. but I feel like um, I feel like the hitters who go in the first two rounds stand out more from the hitter pool than the pitchers who go the, in the first two rounds stand out uh, from the rest of the pitcher pool. And I feel like there are um, there is a large enough, group of pitchers who can come close to elite production, if not perform at elite level themselves that go in that round, well, let's say round three, round three to round eight range, mm-hmm. that I'd rather build the front end of my staff from that group. So that includes guys like Max Freed. That includes guys mm-hmm. like, um, well, Sandy Alcantara, if we're talking about mm-hmm. round three. Uh, probably ends with like Justin Verlander. He's probably the last of that group. But ideally I want to get three of those. In, in my rankings, they're the top 30. It's probably not going to include any of the top 12. It might. It might. Um if if my if if the picks just happen to line up right, I'm not going to pass up Zach Wheeler 23rd overall, most likely but it's certainly not a priority for me not not like it was last year uh, which was really the only really the only year in 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 all of history where that was a priority for me
0: and i am mostly with you scott because i i've done two 15 team leagues already this offseason where i did not select my first starting pitcher until round 5 i would have never done that in recent years i don't even know if it's the right strategy now i'm still trying to form my strategy and i think Seeing the way those teams have turned out, especially in a league that deep, I probably want you know want somebody in that Woodruff Zach Wheeler range just to give me that ace, that anchor, that workhorse, someone that I feel really strong about, and then probably jump back into the position in that range, you know, five, six, seven, round five, six, seven. Um, I'm still trying to form my opinion, but yeah, like I would have never done that in years past. So I'm with you that I think as of now the middle class seems more plentiful. And Chris, that's where we'll come to you because you have all the data that basically shows you should probably avoid that middle class based on previous years' return on investment. It's a pretty bad place to target based on what's happened in the past. Now, obviously, we have data from last year, and I don't know you know, what that data bears out yet, but what is your draft strategy as of now, Chris, on February 24th when it comes to starting pitching?
2: In football, we call it hero RB, and I think that's how I want to go with it. Hero SP as well. Um, I want one of those anchors. I think that's really, really important at this day, in this day and age, is to find that handful of guys who have proven it. And I, I do struggle with like who that group includes because, like, I don't know if that includes Shane Bieber, but he's a top ten starting pitcher for me. I don't right. know if it includes Julio Arias or Robbie Ray. Well, would maybe it include
1: Zach Wheeler? Because that last year was really his only year as a true ace. Would it include yeah. Corbin Burns, the consensus number two starting yeah. pitcher?
2: Yeah, and he, like I'm I have Corbin Burns four. I have Zach Wheeler seven. I think I'm a little lower than the consensus on on both of those guys. Um, but like it's all I'm also starting to think like maybe I'm just too low on Sandy Alcantara, who's really He's done the workload three years in a row, really. He's averaged, I think, six innings per start three years in a row. And the elite performance two years in a row. The strikeouts aren't elite, but the, you know, very, very good performance. Like, maybe he should be ahead of Zach Wheeler. Um, Maybe Aaron Nola, who I'm moving up. Uh, He moved into my top 10 in Roto earlier today when I did a big update. You know, maybe I just need to recalibrate and focus on, you know, Charlie Morton who's done it. I always, and so I think like getting one, maybe two of those guys. I I like that idea because then I'm just, I'm not going to spend the fourth and fifth round picks or the sixth and seventh round picks on as many pitchers. I can wait if I've got Brandon Woodruff and Garrett Cole, like you can probably wait until the 10th round to take another starting pitcher. And based on history, Those 10th round pitchers aren't going to be much worse than the guys who are getting drafted in the fifth and sixth rounds. Your chances of hitting aren't that much worse. And so I think that's my ideal strategy, but also I'll I'll sort of give a cop-out answer and it depends on how the, the league is going. You know, the draft is going because if it's one of those drafts where starting pitchers are getting pushed up, I'll fade the position. If it's one of those drafts where people are really fading starting pitchers, Uh, You know, and and Jacob Degrom falls to the third round or something. I'm happy to do that. You know, it it's a flexibility thing. I want an anchor, maybe two, but it's not a necessity.
0: Yeah, seems like Chris is zigging a little bit more where we're zagging uh, compared to at least what we were doing last year versus. This year, I do agree with you, Scott. I think the elite hitter pool is much more shallow this year. It just feels that way than it has been in years past. Well, yeah, so.
1: I mean, I mean, it's it's like the juice ball era like warped our thinking so much. Remember, right. I was talking about basically home runs are available in all stages of the draft <laughs> and they never run out. Like that's kind of what it felt like because it became so easy to hit home runs that even these light hitting middle infielders were good for twenty plus, and that's uh, that all went away last year and while I suppose the landscape could change again, my hunch is it will will only go more that direction as they continue to mix in the, the new ball more, unless they've changed the construction of the ball, and now it's, it's different. <laughs> Which, like,
2: again. another reason why the lockout is making it harder to do fantasy, because we might have an idea about that if spring training games were started.
1: I think because I'm kind of reverting to a more neutral stance between hitters and pitchers that's what i see it as it's not like i'm going extreme hitters here which hopefully um i'm not misleading anybody about that i think i don't think i'll get caught with my hand in the cookie jar like i did last year last year was basically my worst year of playing fantasy ever i was embarrassed at how poorly i finished in a number of leagues uh when i've always prided myself on you know, pretty much always being in contention, top half of the league at least. Uh, I did win one league still, so it wasn't a total loss. But there, there were a lot of leagues where I finished in the bottom half, and I'm just not used to that, and I hated it, and I don't want it to happen again. Um, so, you know, you can all o- you you only know what you know, you can only foresee what's known. Um, but I think you know, obviously a more neutral stance is going to protect me from any curveballs the league decides to throw at us.
0: All right. I appreciate the transparency as always there, Scotty. Back in the lab this offseason, 0SB, trying to figure out what to do with pitchers. And let's do that right now. Let's jump into ADP review. We'll start with Garrett Cole, who has an ADP of 8.6 versus Corbin Burns, who has an ADP of 11.8. Those are the top two starting pitchers off the board in fantasy baseball this season. Only two. Pitchers in the first round compared to last year when we had three in the first round of most drafts, which included Jacob Degrom, Garrett Cole, and Shane Bieber. Uh, I honestly don't ever find myself targeting either of these pitchers, Garrett Cole or Corbin Burns. I think again, it goes back to uh, I just feel like the hitter pool is a little bit more shallow. That's more so in like a roto categories league. Obviously, you know I'll still target these guys in a points league. You know, in in the first round, in the top half of the first round, even. Uh, There's a lot to say about Garrett Cole. Uh, I think most people will break it down, and and I was guilty of this as soon as the season ended. April and May, Garrett Cole was awesome. 1.78 ERA, a 0.83 whip. From June on, the Sticky Substance cracked down. You look at the surface numbers, a 4.15 ERA, 1.20 whip. Your first thought is, wow, they took away the Sticky Stuff. Garrett Cole stinks now. He's gone back to being Pittsburgh Pirates, Garrett Cole. But if you look a little bit further from june through september 1st, which is the start right before he hurt his hamstring injury, he had a 3.52 ERA, a 108 whip, 15% swinging strike rate. And the underlying numbers were actually even better than that. It was everything was in the low 3s in terms of his peripheral stats. So Scott, that's where I'm at with Garrett Cole. I don't know that he's going to be this far and away best SP1 that he has been in years past. I don't know that you I don't think you're getting in sub 3 ERA anymore. You're probably getting something like right around a 3 ERA, a really strong whip and like 11 or 12 strikeouts per 9. That's worthy of being the SP1 especially because he's done it so many years in a row, but I think you just have to realize he's not going to separate himself as far away from the pack as he has done in years past.
1: Yeah, that that's kind of that's kind of how I'm seeing the elites at starting pitcher in general and he's a good example of that. The you know, ERA over 4 once the foreign substance crackdown began, you know, it, it's it's a little skewed because the first three starts, I think, were awful and then the last three were awful when he was dealing with a hamstring injury. In the middle, he looked pretty dominant still. Uh, so I, I think he's fine. I don't think there's a lot of reason to worry about Garrett Cole, and that's the main reason he's going number one. Pitch for pitch, I think most people would... Well, clearly, Jacob deGrom, people would say, is better. And Corbin Burns, I think most people at this point would say is better. Corbin Burns was far and away the leader in in FIP. fit it, basically every ERA estimator. Corbin Burns was well ahead of the pack. So, you know, pitch for pitch Corbin Burns goes ahead of Garrett Cole, but he but he doesn't he, he hasn't shown even last year winning the Cy Young. He hasn't shown he can take on that ace workload uh and because there was a big jump in innings just to get him where he was last year, we don't know how he's going to bounce back from the big jump in innings, So there are two major questions, I think, about Corbin Burns. And that makes it pretty easy to take Garrett Cole ahead of him. And in my estimation, Garrett Cole's the only starting pitcher who deserves to go in round one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and um, I think those concerns are very valid, Scott. I mean, specifically what you mentioned about the, the workload. Corbin Burns, and you could say this for a lot of pitchers, obviously, coming off of 2020, but he went from 59 and two-thirds innings in 2020 to 173 last year. That's the postseason included. He threw six more innings in the postseason. So he... he jumped 100, nearly 114 innings year over year. And again, we're going to say that about a lot of starting pitchers, but someone like Corbin Burns, who we haven't really seen do it over the course of a full season in the majors before, I think it's okay to have those concerns. Yes. Again, he won the NL Cy Young last year. He was awesome. He was the SP5 in Roto. He was SP6 in fantasy points per game. You mentioned he was basically second to Jacob deGrom in... Every underlying metric that I use to judge a starting pitcher, X-Fib, Sierra, K-minus walk rate, swinging strike
1: percentage, how Distance. did he... like like, runaway winner. Like, I think half a run better than Zach Wheeler, who was second among qualifiers.
0: Right. Uh, I mean, the only difference there is Zach Wheeler provided a lot more volume. We get to Zach yes, Wheeler in a little bit. Um,
1: but-, but I... I, I to, 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 to elaborate a little more on the Burns thing with the innings there, uh, not to cut you off, but yep. this kind of gets to Chris's point, too. I made a rule for myself... Uh, at starting pitcher a couple years ago, basically, until somebody shows he can handle work ace workload, which I'm not sure we can even say Burns has yet. He didn't get to 180 innings last year, much less the 200. He was under six innings per start. Yeah, much less the 200 that most pl- pitchers going in this range deliver. So until a pitcher shows he can take on an ace workload and Bounce back with an ace workload. <laughs> bounce back from that ace workload uh, to, to be healthy the following season. I'm not just gonna assume he can do it.
2: I will. I w- I think it's worth being even more fair to Carbon Cur- Burns. However, okay. One, I said he didn't average six innings per start. He was like five point nine five or something like that. He was one inning short of six innings per start.
0: Also, Chris, if I have this information correct, it looks like there was only twelve starting pitchers last year that averaged six or more innings per start. So the fact that he wasn't included in that, it's, you know, that was a league company. There was only 12 that did it.
2: I I think a, a general rule of thumb when it comes to pitcher workloads is like, if a guy has shown he can throw 160, you can be pretty confident he can throw 180. If a guy's shown he can throw 180, you can be pretty confident he can throw 200. Now that doesn't mean he'll get there because you have to pitch well to throw 200 innings. It's incredibly rare. Like it used to be pretty common. Bad pitchers would throw 200 innings right now, unless you pitch really like, unless you're like well above your median outcome, you're not going to throw 200 innings because teams are going to pull you. But if Corbin burns, like if he pitches nearly as well as he did last season, this season, he's going to get to 180 or 190 innings. If he doesn't get hurt
1: now, if he doesn't get hurt, but that's if he doesn't get hurt, but yeah,
2: his track record, it, it doesn't include a ton of innings, that is fair to say. But 2017 between double A and high A, he threw 145 and two thirds and 26 starts. 2018, the next year, he threw 116 innings and, and two thirds. However, that was with <clears throat> 36 relief appearances and only 13 starts. So he made it through both of those seasons without injuries. Um I can't remember if he got hurt in 2019, if he was just so bad that they were like embarrassed to put him in games. I know he got sent down and then he pretty much pitched a full workload in 2020 and then pretty much pitched a full workload in 2021. He would have gotten to 180 innings possibly if he had gotten 30 starts. So I think he's definitely capable of it. I don't think it's like the safest bet in the world, but I think now like 180 innings is probably, if you don't throw 180 innings, it's really hard to be an ace. You have to be Corbin Burns level good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think he can get to 180 innings.
0: Uh, But Chris, where are you at on Cole versus Burns? And are you actually willing to invest on either one in the first round?
2: Uh, Cole is a first rounder for me in both points and Roto. He's a late first rounder in both. I don't have Corbin Burns all that close to the first round because he is my SP. I believe he's four or five. Uh, let me just check. He's four in uh, Roto. And, you know, I, I think like the difference between him and Brandon Woodruff is very little. Brandon Woodruff won't get as many Ks per inning, but, you know, he's, I think, a better bet for more innings. So I think they're they're both, you know, that range is fine for him, but not not going to be first rounders for me.
0: All right, we are going to hit a quick break. Before we do that, I want to remind everyone, if you haven't already, join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash fantasybaseballtoday. Lots of fun questions being asked right now. People looking for leagues, joining different leagues, just asking questions. It's a fun community to be a part of. So if you aren't already, please join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we have more ADP here on Fantasy Baseball Today.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
0: All right, so let's jump back in, and we now have this next group of three in the early to mid-second round. Walker Buehler at pick 14, Max Scherzer at pick 18.8, Brandon Woodruff at pick 20.6. Yes, I purposely am waiting to talk about Jacob DeGrom. I want to put him in the same category as Shane Bieber, though he actually does go later than these guys in ADP. We'll get to those in just a little bit. Scott, here we are, uh, one year later, and... All season long, yeah, you know, I said, "Man, why did we doubt Walker Buehler? We shouldn't have done that." You know, he's he's here. He's arrived. You know, yeah. he's, he went six plus innings and twenty nine of thirty three starts. Awesome season. Two point four seven ERA. Zero point nine seven WHIP. You see where I'm going with this? There was no reason to think that was happening. I I don't want to invest in Walker Buehler at this price, even though he was awesome last year, and we said it all season long. He's not your traditional ace because he does it with lower strikeout numbers and higher peripheral numbers than we see from than from your traditional ace. I mean, 11.6% swinging strike rate. That was tied for 20th among qualified starting pitchers last year. The fastball VLO dipped, uh, went from 96.9 in 2020 to 95.4 last year. He faded down the stretch. He had a 4.83 ERA in September. He got crushed in the postseason as well. And we're talking about another guy who had this massive innings jump. 51.2 in 2020. 226 in 2021. So I have him at the back end of this second tier. I'd rather take Wheeler. I'd rather take Woodruff. I'd rather take Max Scherzer ahead of Walker Buehler. Am I crazy?
1: I don't think you're crazy. I think you're being a little harsh with old... With old Bueller, Bueller boy here, in, in comparison to Corbin Burns, he had thrown a hun, he had he had previously had a hundred eighty inning season. So he exceeded two hundred for the first time, but he was at one hundred eighty two and a third in twenty nineteen. He has never been like for for being for being a guy who we think of as a power pitcher. He's never been a big swing and miss pitcher. His swinging strikeout rates have been underwhelming. Basically, from when he first broke into the league in 2017. And yet there's been nothing, there has, there's never been any questions about Walker Bueller performance-wise, right? Just, just the way the Dodgers implement him have been the only questions raised. He's, he's always delivered uh, on what he's supposed to do when he does pitch. Now, the strikeouts were low by ace standards last year, 9.2K per nine. Yeah, that's certainly not an ace strikeout rate. That's also the exception. Like normally, he's been over 10K per nine. And like, even if he is only a K per nine, if if he's now going to be this workhorse, there's so few of those guys. And and honestly, he's more proven than most of them. He's more proven than uh, of being a high end option anyway than than like a Zach Wheeler even. So. Well, anti-pitches for the Dodgers. So he's going to get a ton of uh, a ton of run support. He's going to win a lot of games, which is the most valuable pitching stat for as little focus as it gets. Understandably, it's not the most predictable thing in the world, but it's very valuable stat. Wins, regardless of the scoring format. Well, I guess if it's one that doesn't reward wins, then it's not such a valuable stat. But traditional formats, points leagues, uh, or Roto, uh, wins are huge. So yeah, I mean. I get I get why you might rank him behind Wheeler or Woodruff or whoever else you mentioned there. I, I think he's probably the second safest, safest ace after Garrett Cole. So that's why I have him. I have him fifth. I am behind I'm sorry, I have him fourth. I am behind Cole Scherzer. Eh, Scherzer might be the second safest, as old as he is. Cole Scherzer, Burns, and then Bueller.
0: And speaking of Scherzer, the two pitchers that I was most wrong about last year were Walker Buehler and Max Scherzer. Scherzer has an ADP of 18.8. He's now 37 years old. Just signed a three-year deal with the New York Mets. He finished as the SP1 in Roto last year. 13th overall, the SP2 in fantasy points per game because nobody was catching Jacob deGrom in that department. And Chris, the things that I was worried most about Max Scherzer last year... He has quelled all of those concerns for me. The walks got back on track. Basically, everything that happened in 2020 was just like a short season blip for him. He got the control back where it needed to be. The swinging strike rate bounced back up. He was not getting hit nearly as hard as he was in the shortened season. So back in the National League East, you know, normally you might worry about a a pitcher or a hitter going to a new location, but obviously he's familiar with the National League East. He spent so much time with the Washington Nationals. I know he's old. That's probably the only thing you could say about him, but uh, you know, look, I'm actually willing to invest in Max Scherzer in the second round more so than I would be for someone like Walker Buehler. I just trust it more.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like 2020 didn't happen and that's probably a pretty good standard to hold for a guy who had never shown any signs of decline before 2020 and it was a shortened season. So like, The thing about the 2020 season was he made 12 starts. I'm sure you could find a 12-start stretch for Max Scherzer every season of his career. Maybe not every single season of his career. He's had some pretty good years. But I'm sure it's not that rare to find a 12-start stretch where he had a 374 ERA and a slightly elevated walk rate. You know, I think excusing that makes a lot of sense. Now he's 38, 37. And, you know, you'll, you'll probably see someone on fantasy Twitter tweet something like, only, you know, two p- players ever have had 180 innings in a three, on a sub 3.5 ERA at the age of 37 or older. And that'll be true. And that'll be their, the case against Max Scherzer is that it's just really rare for someone to be that good at that age. The thing is, if you do the same search, but 36 or older, it'll include Max Scherzer. And those two other guys, the those outliers continue to be outliers until they're not. You know, there will be a point where Max Scherzer is not one of the best pitchers in baseball, but I see no reason to think he won't be this season. And so, he is uh, my number two starting pitcher in points leagues. He's my number three in Roto. Although, I probably like. It's the kind of thing where like if I was in that spot and it was DeGrom or Scherzer, I would probably take Scherzer. So I'm I'm probably lying with that ranking. But yeah, he's awesome. He's, he's ridiculously good.
1: I think that too much is made of Scherzer's age. Too much is made of Justin Verlander's age. Too much is made of Charlie Morton's age. Charlie Morton's like my favorite pitcher to draft this year. There are so many risk factors at starting pitcher that age barely even ranks for me. You know, age is a risk factor for sure, uh, and and I might put more on it at, at among hitters because there are fewer risk factors for hitters overall. But like, there are so many ways a starting pitcher can go wrong that I just can't get hung up about age. Yeah, maybe this is the year Max Scherzer falls apart. He if, if he he did average fewer innings per start than he has in a long time last year, less than six innings per start. That's a little unsure. Like maybe he's slowing down, maybe, but he, he, there, there are so many ways a pitcher can fail to deliver on his ADP uh, that he could just straight up implode so many, so many potential causes for that, that like, I don't know. Scherzer, Scherzer seems less vulnerable to all of those just because he's done it for so long. And because he's old, because he's old, he actually, Uh, gets to take on this big workload that up-and-comers don't often get to. So the age almost works to the player's advantage at this position, because they're kind of grandfathered into the old standard of what an ace should be.
0: All right, let's quickly talk about Brandon Woodruff, because we have quite a few more names to get to on today's podcast. I mentioned earlier that he faltered after the sticky substance crackdown. So April and May, 1.27 ERA, 0.69 whip. Look, he was just never going to maintain that. This might just be normal regression throughout the course of the season. From June 1st on, a 3.41 ERA, a 1.14 whip. He did make some adjustments last year. He raised raised his K, uh, curveball usage from 6% in 2020 to 16.7% last year. So that's a pretty massive jump. He still lives and dies with that four-seamer and a sinker. It's an elite fastball combination that he uses. But I think the fact that he now has another secondary pitch that he can actually trust as much as he does with the curveball and the changeup that it's just Overall, it's helped Brandon Woodruff progress as a pitcher and kind of get to that next level So Chris who would you rather have between Woodruff and Walker Buehler because obviously you'd rather have Scherzer over both
2: I do have Woodruff a little bit ahead of Walker Buehler, but it's not much. I think that that tier of starting pitcher Scherzer belongs in his own tier here and I think Woodruff, Woodruff, and Bueller, and maybe Wheeler, and you know, maybe you put Degrom in there as well. I think they're all very similar in value. Um, Woodruff, I guess you have a little bit of concerns about whether he's going to be able to throw 200 innings, um, something that you know Walker Bueller and Zach Wheeler have done. But I just think he is he's such an interesting pitcher because he's a rare pitcher whose fastball is such a good swing and miss pitch that he can get away throwing fastballs 60% of the time or 65% of the time and still be a really high strikeout rate guy. And, you know, there were, you know, I guess he's one of the ones that you said had some struggles after the sticky substance crackdown. down. Um, you didn't really see it in his spin rate at least. And that, that's I suppose where you would expect to see it most. So, I don't know how much of a concern that is. I think it's, I think he's just really good, and he's exceptionally good at getting swings and misses and getting strikeouts, and he's really good at limiting hard contact. You know, he is. That's something that him and Walker Buehler have in common is that both of them are very, very good on results on balls in play, and they have been over the the course of several years. And uh, then they also strike out, you know, Woodruff's more like 30%, Bueller maybe more like 26 to 28%, but they get a lot of strikeouts is the point. So, yeah, I think Brandon Woodruff's a, a no doubties.
0: The last point on Brandon Woodruff, and really just Brewers pitchers in general, should I mention this with Corbin Burns, I like targeting them and Cardinals pitchers for this matter, because... They get to face the Pirates and the Cubs quite a lot throughout the course of the season. So uh, I do like that for Brandon
1: Woodruff. Reds might not be so great either.
0: Yeah. So uh, I I do like targeting Brewers and Cardinals pitchers for that reason. Uh, Scott, any concern when it comes to Brandon Woodruff? Who would you rather have him or Bueller?
1: Well, I'd rather have Bueller by one spot, but, you know, it's almost a coin flip, like Chris said. I don't worry about the slow finish. He had a 206 ERA in the first half. Like, obviously, he was going to have to regress from that, finish with a 256 ERA. I think he's probably closer to a three ERA pitcher like we saw in 2020, but that doesn't, the difference between 250 and three. That's true for most pitchers who right. have a two five ERA or yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I basically think that he was on the good side of variance last year with the 2.56 ERA, so yeah. he's probably more of like a low threes ERA pitcher, which is still very good with an awesome whip and you know around 10 strikeouts per nine. So uh, I think Brandon Woodruff has arrived and should be trusted as an SP1. Uh, all right, now the real fun begins. Three pitchers going in the back end of the second round. Early third round range. Jacob deGrom, 21.4. Shane Bieber at pick 24.8. Zach Wheeler at pick 25.2. Should have mentioned this earlier. These all come uh via Fantasy Pros ADP. They have five different average draft posi- position so- sources that uh that culminate this average draft position data that we have here today. Uh all right, so Jacob DeGrom. Oof, man, this guy like he is truly having one of the historic runs in MLB history when it comes to pitchers. Um, last season, he finishes the SP thirteen in Roto throwing just 92 innings. He was far and away the SP1 in fantasy points per game. He averaged 23.9 fantasy points. Max Scherzer was second at 19.4. From 2018 to, through 2021, he has a 1.94 ERA, a 0.88 whip, 774 strikeouts, over 581 innings pitched. It, it is just he's ridiculous. He's a perfect pitcher. It is
2: ridiculous. And like the, this, he's in the midst of a better run than like Sandy Koufax.
0: It's, it's insane. Best.
2: And how it, does it's, it might be like Pedro Martinez at his best. And that's it. Like that might be what we're seeing right now with Jacob DeGrom.
0: And, and you're probably asking like, how is he doing this? The fastball velocity just keeps going up. It was 95 miles per hour back in 2017. He averaged 99 miles per hour last year. That's with like a 92, 93 mile per hour slider. Twenty-one percent swinging strike rate, like the guy is just out of this world. But what did it cost? And in the words of Almighty Thanos, everything,
1: everything. I yeah, totally, totally steamrolled you there. Sorry,
0: it's fine, it's fine. Over the past two seasons, however, Jacob Degrom mentioned it's cost him everything. He has missed time due to neck, lat, back, shoulder, forearm, and elbow issues, and then eventually shut down with a UCL inflammation. So Scotty, you have Jacob Degrom as your SP two in your rankings. Do I? I have him at, unless you've updated something and
1: I haven't seen. Well, no, I, 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 I when I when I said earlier that I had Bueller fourth, I assumed I had moved Degrom below him, but I guess I haven't. I'm
2: really struggling with it in roto in points. I think it's an easy call that he's outside of the top, you know, four I think or at least five. Mm-hmm. Um, Roto's really hard though because like. Here's the if thing. he, if he here's gives you a, if you could guarantee me 160 innings from Jacob Degrom, he doesn't even need that, Chris. I might take him in the second round.
0: He was the SP13 last year yeah. in 92 like, innings pitched. Now, yeah. here's what I'll say. Yeah. When it comes to the workload, we just have no idea. There was an article on the Athletic. Yeah. Tim Britton, who covers the team again for the Athletic, he was asked realistic expectations for Jacob Degrom this season, and he said if he were the Mets, he would sign up for 140 innings. You need to ask yourself, how many innings does Jacob deGrom need to get to pay off his price tag as a 21st player off the board, a top two-round player? First that, and then ask yourself, how realistic is it for him to get to that total? And for those questions, I don't know, Scott. I don't know.
1: Well, I think there's a bigger question that needs to be asked before that. Is he okay? Like, right now, is he okay? We don't know. Because we didn't see him for the last couple months last year. And we've heard since then that he had a UCL tear uh, that's supposedly not showing up in the MRIs anymore. But we've been down this road with pitchers before. uh, And, you know, next thing we know, we're hearing Tommy John surgery. So, like, spring, DeGrom is one of those players that spring training is critical for my evaluation of him. Uh, remember early in the offseason, I said, I'm going to go ahead and rank him number one. And if 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 we're hearing bad reports in spring training, I'll move him down. Well, I've kind of gone the other way now. If we hear good reports in spring training, we'll move him up. That's partly because spring training was delayed, and it's certainly going to be short now whenever it does start. And I'm just not sure I'm going to be able to trust much of what I see or hear in it. I'll go say ahead. the opposite.
2: Okay. Because my question isn't, can Jacob DeGrom be really good in April? Like that that I, I have very few doubts about I think he'll be healthy well, I, by the start of the season based I don't on what know if we he'll know he' right available now. in
1: April I don't know if he's healthy right sure, now. sure we
2: don't know but like we don't we don't know that he's not and I, I tend to think there's there's it's safe to assume like we probably would have heard if
1: something was wrong the Mets the Mets there are the a Mets. lot of, there are a lot of spring training that sure that but a, a Mets, lot of a lot of Tommy Johns that happen in spring training
2: yeah but the Mets leak like I don't know a, a sieve is that a thing that that's that's something that leaks or doesn't have yeah. good ceiling so yes I, I feel like we would have heard that's something what it's designed to do um yes sieve <clears> sieve <throat> um but for me it's like if I see Jacob deGrom healthy in ape he, in spring training it's like great he is currently healthy. That tells me nothing about the real question, which is, can he get through a full season? And so like, yes, I guess the first order question is, is he currently healthy? And I guess if we don't know the answer to that, then we do need to get an answer to that. But once we have that answer, it's still like, I'm not going to shoot him up my draft board because he's throwing 99 in spring training games because he might make one start. He might make 32.
1: Well, how's that changed from last year? Because it was the consensus number one pitcher last year, right? Or certainly yeah, neck he, and neck with Garrett Cole.
0: No, he was. He was the number one pitcher.
1: So why, why does he seem, why does the, if, if you're leaving out last year's elbow troubles, why does he seem. Oh, well, I'm seem, not,
2: that's, that's the, that's the, but that's what makes the question bigger right now of if he can stay healthy. Because he didn't really have the elbow issues before this. So if you're assuming he's healthy right now, or if we find out he's healthy right now, I still think the bigger question for his long-term or his season-long value is, can he stay healthy? And we have no, no way of answering that. Um, okay. And so I just, I can't imagine I'm going to move him up that much. I think he can only move down for me.
0: And what do you have now, Chris?
2: Uh, SP2 and Roto. I'm really struggling with it, though. I could move him as far down as 5 I think without having to change too much of my view of him but I don't know it's really hard cuz I mean if he throws 140 innings he's probably getting you 225 strikeouts yeah and if you get a league average pitcher for the rest of the year that still might be the most valuable pitcher spot in fantasy
0: I've ha- I've done 5 drafts already and I'm already I'm in the midst of two more now these are slow drafts I like to be in slow draft so I could see you know where ADP is going and so on and so forth. I have had no inclination to draft Jacob Degrom at all. It's just there's so much volatility at the position already. I understand how amazing he is. It's like a mm-hmm. risk tolerance kind of thing, but obviously, like the most risky pitcher that you can imagine. It's just there's so there's so much already going on with the position that I don't want to start off with somebody who might already be hurt. We just don't know. And, and if spring training had already started, if pitchers and catchers reported, we would have something. We would have anything about the status of Jacob Degrom. And right now, we yeah. just we just don't know. We have nothing. So it's yeah. honestly it's pretty hard to talk about. But yeah, I, I will say if he gives if he gives you a hundred and hundred and twenty plus innings at this cost, he, he's probably worth
1: it. And, and look, there's a chance it gives you two hundred innings.
0: Oh, <laughs>
1: and if he does, right, like that's that, the thing. If
2: he doesn't, if he doesn't miss any starts, you're
0: he's getting two hundred innings. He's him. probably he was, the number one player in fantasy. If he, if he throws two hundred innings, twenty seventeen
1: through twenty nineteen, and obviously we're leaving twenty twenty out because right. nobody got to two hundred innings. But twenty seventeen through twenty nineteen, he exceeded two hundred innings all three years. I mean, it's not like he has a, a history of breaking down.
2: And for what it's worth, and you know, this is. I'm looking at Eno Saris's pitcher ranks right now. And I think Eno Saris probably knows more about pitching than anyone who's not currently employed by a Major League Baseball team as a pitcher or pitching coach. And they've got uh, projected IL days for pitchers, and this is based on a, a variety of factors from velocity changes to injury history. And his are, you know, there's a pink, there's a little pink there. There's a little warning. It's 31 projected IL days. Max Scherzer's 29 uh, Corbin Burns is 28. J- Brandon Woodruff is 24. Um, Shane Bieber is 52. <laughs> um, and the thing is, it's unlikely that Jacob Degrom just just misses 31 games. So that's you know more like a he either stays healthy or misses 90 days or more. You know, it, it's entirely possible we're overstating the injury risk for Jacob Degrom. Relative to other starting pitchers, like it might just be that the baseline level of risk for all starting pitchers is so high that while Degrom's is elevated, it may not be enough to, you know, make him someone to avoid.
0: Yeah, shout out to Eno Saris. You're right, Chris. I mean, one of the best analysts in the industry, especially when it comes to starting pitchers. And I know Jeff Zimmerman helped him out with uh, with those projected IL numbers. So.
2: And he, he was Jeff Zimmerman was some tweeting was tweeting some interesting stuff about that I think today or yesterday that's worth checking out on his Twitter account.
0: Yeah, and look if you are listening to this podcast, you're not following Eno Saris and or Jeff Zimmerman, then then you're doing it wrong. So make sure you follow those guys. they're, they're awesome. Um, all right, so look, Jacob Degrom. Lastly, Scott, are you actually willing to invest at the current ADP late second round, Jacob Degrom? Yes or no?
1: I have yet to have to make that decision because he's gone early to mid second round. But late second round, I, I think that's when I'm willing to pull the trigger. Yeah. Chris, yes or no? I've done
0: it. All right. Next up, Shane Bieber. Another tough one to uh, figure out here. Last year, 3.17 ERA, a 1.21 whip. The walks were uncharacteristically high for Shane Bieber, up over three walks per nine. And he allowed much, um, many more hits than he did the previous year. The BABIP was up. But those things were actually in line with where he's been at mostly for his career outside of the shortened 2020 uh, ex- expected ERA. According to Statcast, tells us that he was allowing more hard contact again. Uh, and then of course we have the fact that he was limited to just 16 starts due to a shoulder injury. When he returned final two starts, extremely small sample size. I think it was six innings or something like that. Uh, the velocity on the fastball way down to 91 miles per hour, usually, Sits 92, and, 93.
2: And um, Velocity doesn't need a big sample size. You know, you that you can have a sample size of a couple and know if a guy's throwing hard or not.
0: And uh, the spin rates were also way down. That was the first time we saw Shane Bieber after the the sticky substance crackdown. So on the slider for him, on the curveball, uh, the spin rates were down across the board. Scott, it seems like all offseason, you've been the, the optimist when it comes to Shane Bieber. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to remain consistent in my stance on Jacob Degrom. I know they're different injuries and completely different pitchers, but uh, I'm pretty worried about Shane Bieber myself. So usually when I see these two names, I just kind of skip them over and maybe that's a fault of my own.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't don't worry about it. I mean, six innings after returning from injury, a hurried buildup after a long absence, his velocity was down a little. Okay. They probably shouldn't have brought him back at all. So, you know. Bad on Cleveland. bad on the Guardians for doing that. Uh, I, I don't think it. I don't think it tells us anything about how Shane Bieber is going to do after normal rest and a normal buildup. Spin rates being down, okay, that's something that afflicted the entire league just a few months earlier, and pretty much everybody who su- struggled with the spin rates early on figured out how to get them. More or less back in line, so I suspect that's not going to be an issue for Shane Bieber either. So then, you know, if if address after addressing those two concerns, it just comes down to performance. And I mean, since the start of 2019, obviously 2020 he was otherworldly, but go back to 2019. I mean, he was a no questions asked ace either, uh, clear second rounder in fantasy. The following year, he was one of the biggest workhorses in the game in both. 2019 and 2020 and that's how he started like four of his first five starts last year he recorded double digit strikeouts i mean he he started off on the right foot i i think he's as much of an ace as anybody obviously there are understandable questions about durability but i don't i don't think they're of the significance that the groms are and i think his track record of uh of taking on a big workload gives me even more confidence that he can bounce back.
0: Yeah. It's not really anything to do with the performance because I think when Shane Bieber is on the mound, he he's going to be a really, really solid starting pitcher. I think 2020 was a complete aberration. We're not coming close to that again for Shane Bieber. He kind of went all out in terms of the velocity that year, probably because he knew it was a shortened season. Uh, But normally when he's sitting 92, 93, what we have seen in 2019 and 2021 is more of the pitcher you should expect a low to mid threes ish ERA and a lot of strikeouts. And that's very valuable. Chris, with that being said, we do have this lingering uh, shoulder concern with Shane mm-hmm. Beaver. And maybe I'm just blowing these injury concerns out. I don't of the think water. you are. But, be- but like last year, I went on a limb with Walker Bueller and Scherzer. I said I was out on those guys. I was wrong. I'm willing to be wrong. For me this year, it's going to be DeGrom and Shane Bieber, unless, of course, but
2: neither, we see neither of those guys had a shoulder injury or right. an elbow injury. You know, like right. shoulder injuries are arguably even scarier than elbow injuries because, um, you know, we tend to assume guys just come back normal from Tommy John surgery. Shoulders tend to be a lot trickier than that. And the fact that he missed a bunch of time last season with shoulder injuries. And then when we did see him pitch, the velocity was down. I think that has to be a red flag. Like, I'm not saying that that means his velocity will be down forever. I think the the extenuating circumstances are valid to point out. But we just don't know. And I think it's a risk factor. And I think it's a a somewhat significant risk factor. And then you throw in that he's just, he's kind of a one of one pitcher when it comes to being really good while being absolutely horrid with results on balls in play. Like just, consi- even in his 2020, he had a 391 expected on contact. League averages 369. That is really, really bad. Now, he had a 41% strikeout rate, so it didn't matter. But if you trust XERA uh, as a diagnostic tool, his xERA in 2019 was 3.86, his xERA in 2021 was 3.73. So that's really the the major pitching stat, your peripheral stat that takes into account quality of contact, and maybe that is overblown. Maybe that, yeah. you know, there's something about him that is being hidden, but he really does get hit that hard. You know, it's it's like he really is bottom 20% in most quality of contact metrics.
1: Since in 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 sixty two appearances, sixty one starts since the start of twenty nineteen, almost four hundred innings. Bieber has a two ninety two ERA. Yeah, so I I really don't think ERA is the concern here, unless he loses stuff and then everything's the concern. Maybe
0: again for me, it's not it's not a performance thing.
1: Like I'm with you, Scott.
0: I think we're to the point. Like there's enough of a track record performance wise. He's fine. I mean, he's more than fine. Like he's he's legit. I, I
2: think he. I think there's a chance he, even if he's healthy and fine, I think there's a chance he has a 360. ERA, And uh, you know, that's true of anyone, obviously, but I think it's more of a concern for him than it is for Brandon Woodruff.
0: You kind of, you kind of see it with similarly with someone like Aaron Nola right now. I think Bieber has better stuff than Aaron Nola, but they both have mediocre to bad fastballs. And I think because mm-hmm. of that, I mean, they could be maybe prone to falling on that higher side of variance, and we just saw they're, it they're in the for strike Aaron zone Nolan. a lot
1: too. I mean Yeah, they're, they're, are, they're two of the most consistent strike throwers last year, excluded for Bieber. Yeah.
2: I think there's some risk, but look, he, he's still a top 10 or close starting pitcher in both formats for me. so you know, I think that sort of highlights that I'm not super comfortable with more than six or seven starting pitchers (laughs)
0: all right let's quickly talk about zach wheeler here the adp is 25.2 he's an early third round pick in 12 team leagues far and away the best that we've ever seen from zach wheeler last year he was the sp3 in roto he was sp7 in fantasy points per game he was one of four starting pitchers to go 200 plus innings last year he was actually first in innings pitched per start and how did he do it? How did he get there? Well, uh, he did change up the pitch mix last season. He threw his slider a career-high 24.9% of the time, and he also had the best um, control of his career. So he had a, a career-low walk rate, the strikeouts were up, the swinging strike rate was up, and he gets a lot of ground balls. So all of those things in conjunction led to this super breakout, basically, for uh, Zach Wheeler. And, and Scott, he's really, he's one of the, Base, I think like three or four starting pitchers in the first two rounds that I actually want to target. There's like a pocket of pitchers that I like, and it and involves him, Woodruff, and and really Scherzer. Um, so, how do you feel about Zach Wheeler?
1: So, I pretty much buy what he did last year, and he feels safe. It's it's kind of calling him safe though for reasons I've already brought up is is can be kind of misleading. Um, Last year was the first year he performed like a true ace in fantasy with that big strikeout rate and everything. But if he regresses back to his prior standard, he's still like a top 30 pitcher. So he's safe in that you're not going to get the disaster scenario with Zach Wheeler. But he may, he may end up performing like, well, less than a second rounder. So, you know, you could, you could take that for however you want to take it.
0: And I think yeah, that's I mean, a good point. That's probably why I target those three pitchers in particular. Wheeler, Woodruff, Scherzer. They probably represent, you know, three of the highest floors going in the first, you know, two or three rounds when it comes to starting pitchers. So yeah. I think they're pretty safe. Um Chris, some quick thoughts on Zach Wheeler.
2: You know, one thing for me is like to it he's sort of the Spider Man meme with Sandy Alcantara. You know, Wheeler gets more strikeouts, or at least He did last year. He did last season. It's kind of wild that he had an 18% strikeout rate in 2020 and then had a 29% rate in 2021. Um, But he is truly elite at suppressing quality of contact. Like, he is the anti-Shane Bieber. His expected Woba allowed for his career is 346. He's never been higher than 366 in the last four seasons, basically, since he's been healthy. So yeah, I think that gives him a high floor and that's that's something he shares with Sandy Alcantara where even if the strikeout rate does regress and I don't think that's unreasonable to expect, he's probably still going to be pretty good.
0: Yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm there. I'm right there on Zach Wheeler. I like targeting him quite a bit as my uh, ace on my fantasy team. Only one other pitcher going in the third round. That is Julio Arias with an ADP of 32.2. He finishes the SP5 in Roto, the SP10 in head-to-head points per game largely do, not mostly, it's not the only reason, but he had 20 wins It led baseball. So obviously that factors into the equation quite a bit. He was also just amazing, 2.96 ERA, a 102 whip. And the Dodgers finally just let him go. He went six plus innings in 15 of 32 starts. I know that doesn't exactly sound like a lot, but before last season, he had only gone six plus innings in 10 of 38 starts. So he did it in a much higher ratio of his starts Mm -hmm. last year. And overall, Scott, I mean, he just improved. He lowered the walk rate tremendously, changed the pitch mix a little bit through the curveball, a career-high 34% of the time. However, I mean, he's another one of these pitchers that, like, the swinging strike rate is not tremendous. It's 25th Uh in baseball. I mean, the underlying Mm -hmm. numbers in the second half, he had a 409 XFIP. I think he's a good pitcher. I just, I don't love the cost in the third round. So I I don't think that I'm going to invest much in in Julio Rios.
1: Well, I, th- I think there's clearly a teardrop here between Wheeler and Arias. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have Wheeler ahead of Bieber for what it's worth. So Bieber's the end of the tier for me. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's a lot of what I said about Walker Bueller, I feel like we could say for Arias too, right down to with, man, I can't believe the Dodgers let him go last year after being so careful with his innings previously. Uh, but yeah he has that great supporting cast we saw it lead to 20 wins last year he doesn't have the strikeout potential of most of the pitchers drafted in this range but i, I remember we when we had Ariel Cohen on he and i were kind of arguing about Julio Arias. and i don't think i don't think you can assess him by the normal ways we assess starting pitchers certainly i'm used to s- assessing starting pitchers with Swing strike rate, right, x-fit, all of that. I think the xera, which has been consistently great for Arias, uh, is is more applicable in his case because he has established year after year that he's one of the best at suppressing hard contact. And mm-hmm. I don't normally trust that a, a pitcher who does that isolated one year.
2: Yeah, um, no, that, that takes multiple years before you right. can really trust it.
1: Either but this way. is this is three years in a row where um, Arias has been among the top 10% in the league at, at limiting mm. hard hit rate. So, like, I think it's legit in his case. And if he didn't pitch for the Dodgers, I might move him down a couple spots, but... Uh, Which is
2: funny because that's why we were...
1: <laughs> Underrating him last right. year, right? Well, obviously, obviously, he's he's like he has to be one of their workhorses now because Scherzer's gone and Kershaw likely is too. But yeah, that's. Uh, I I think he's fine. I I think he's, uh, he's he's not the ideal choice as a number one, but I'd be okay with him as my number one if if in round three I don't have a pitcher yet and it makes sense to take him. I just don't like the cost. That's the biggest
2: thing. Yeah. Is it? It's. Like, maybe he can throw 200 innings this season and, and be as good as he was last year, but I, I yeah, I, I struggle with the cost more than more than the pitcher.
0: Yeah, and I feel like people are probably figuring this out, at least about me, to at this point in the podcast, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but last year, I was so liberal in the pitchers that I was targeting. I just wanted as many pitchers as I could possibly get. So this year, I'm really trying to find the pitchers, the right pockets of the draft, and the... The skills meet the workload. High floor pitchers, and I'm trying to find as many of those as I possibly can. And uh, for me, Julio Arias just doesn't fit that mold. So he's another one that I'm not. I'm not. Look, I don't ever cross anybody off the list. But where he's going now, he'd have to fall to. I don't know the middle of the fourth, the end of the fourth round to get him, and I just never see that happen with Julio Arias. And speaking of the fourth round, there are three going in this range. Lucas Gilito at pick 37.6, Aaron Nola at pick 40, and Sandy Alcantara at pick 43. All three, I would say, pretty pretty polarizing players, uh, all for different reasons, I would say, as well. So, uh, Chris, we'll start with you this time. Giolito, Nola, Sandy Alcantara, how do you rank the three, and do you actually find yourself targeting this group in 2022.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I, I'm, I'm happy to draft this group. I, I Aaron Nola is actually the one that I like the most. He's a top 10 starting pitcher for me. And I, it mostly just comes down to the fact that, like, I don't want to just say bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. But in his case, like, he gave up more home runs. He struggled with runners in scoring position really badly, like a 900 OPS allowed against, uh, with runners in scoring position. And maybe that was just the result of him tipping his pitches or just not being as good. The problem is, when you look under the hood, he didn't get hit harder than last season. His expected results weren't much that much worse. He gave up more home runs, largely as the result of giving up more cheap home runs. And so I think that was mostly... Just the the bad version of variance, taking uh, Aaron Nola down a a notch. And one thing that I noticed, uh, there was um, he only had one month with an ERA below three point eight. But August provides a perfect microcosm for the season as a whole. You know, four twenty eight ERA in in the month of August, which is not great, despite a thirty three percent strikeout rate and a one seventy two batting average against. He allowed three home runs in 27 innings, which is actually lower than his season rate. And those homers only accounted for six of the 14 runs allowed. So it was mostly just, I think just bad clustering is that when he gave up hits, he tended to give up a lot of hits at once. And maybe that's again, maybe he was tipping his pitches. Maybe there's something mechanically when he's pitching out of the stretch. My guess is that it's, just sometimes you flip a head and it comes up heads three times, or flip a coin and yeah. sometimes it comes up head three times.
1: You, yeah. you may not want to call it luck, but I think I can. I'm, I'm comfortable calling it a fluke, at least. Yeah, and it's worth saying that he had a 3.37 x fit last year. It was the mm-hmm. ninth best in all of baseball. Basically, everybody ahead of him was exactly who to expect—a bunch of Cy Young contenders. 3.37 x fit versus 4.63 ERA is one of the biggest gaps of any mm-hmm. pitcher last year.
2: 335 uh, X ERA.
1: Yeah. Basically by every measure but the ERA, Aaron Nola looked like Aaron Nola, and I'm very confident in a bounce back season for him.
0: This might be this is probably too simplistic and I realize that. But if you look at just his ERA by year throughout the course of his career, it's all over the place. Sure. 4.63, 3.28 3.87, 2.37, 3.54, 4.78. Now, for his career, he's got a 3.680 array. You know, on paper, that looks nice, but how you get there, it, it's pretty rough. Um, and this is coming from someone who I loved Aaron Ole last year. I had him as my SP4. His fastball is just, it's not good. It's, it's like straight, it's 91, 92 miles per hour. Yeah. And, I, like, I thought the changeup was the key to unlocking him last year. The changeup wasn't nearly as good. Obviously, he has this tremendous curveball. Ah, oh, man. I just think that he's more prone to this variance because, like, if he doesn't have that fastball, he just gets hit. And, sure, like, his, yeah. his fly ball rate was way up last year. I'll say, like, that's a fluke for sure. Like, for his career, it's 31%. Last year, it was 40%. So, as a result, yeah. you know, he gave up more home runs and... That's what happened. You wound up. I with think any pitcher who relies
1: more on location. I mean, Nolan gets a tons of strikeouts, so we think of him as a power pitcher. But you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't overpower hitters with his fastball. Really, He relies a lot on command. And and those are always going to be those kinds of pitchers are always going to be more vulnerable to variance because uh it, it doesn't it doesn't take much for mis- a, a strike to be in a pitch in, in a hitter's wheelhouse. It's right.
2: it's like. Garrett Cole, even with the spin rate down, like that dude still throws 100 miles an hour consistently. Yeah, when you throw a hundred mile an hour fastball in the middle of the, the strike zone, yeah, it might get hit, but the chances of it getting hit hard are much much lower than if you're Aaron Nola and you throw your 91 mile an hour fastball in the middle of the strike zone. Like that's that's a problem, and so it's mostly just that your mistakes are bigger mistakes, and your margin for error is slimmer
1: but i think i think where he's ranked now accounts for that variance like ranking him 4th last year frank probably didn't he could he could be the number 4 pitcher this year yeah. but i think accounting for all the ways nola could go i i don't th- this doesn't feel risky to me where we're taking him now
0: all right let's talk mm-hmm. about the other two pitchers in this range lucas Giolito, who has an adp of 37.6 and Every, for anyone who had G. on your team, I'm sure you remember this specific start. But he had a start on Patriots Day last year against the Red Sox, where he threw one plus inning and he allowed seven earned runs. If you take that out, and sure you could do this for every pitcher, he has a 3.20 ERA for the entire season. He still gets a lot of strikeouts. Swinging strikes are very high. Uh, he's yet to hit 200 innings in a in a career, um, in a season, in his career. But yet to hit 180. Yep. Uh, look, what I've said about Giolito is he feels a lot like Jose Barrios with more strikeouts. Now, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Someone who gives you a mid-3 ZRA with all these strikeouts and a yeah. pretty strong whip, like, that's a strong pitcher. And, you know, if if I had to choose just right now, Giolito or Aaron Nola, I think I would go with Giolito. I don't know if that's the right answer, though. What do you think, Scott?
1: I think I'd go Nola because, like, I'm, I'm kind of to the point with Lucas Giolito where I am with Luis Castillo where... I think he's good, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of over uh, him taking this next step that makes him a true fantasy ace. I think you know, three years in a row where the ERA is in the mid threes, he's a little vulnerable to home runs. He walks a few too many guys, and that's just that's just kind of part of his profile. Now he's going to give you a ton of strikeouts, and like he's going to be he's going to give you a lot of solid starts. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to discount him as a quality pitcher. I have him ranked 13th, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't love the idea of taking him as my number one. When the past couple of years, even as, even as aggressively as I was going after starting pitchers, I was okay with that.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the biggest difference you made the comp to Luis Castillo. And I think that there are some similarities. I mean, Giolito, from start to start, there is some inconsistency throughout the course of the season. I can mm-hmm. see why that's frustrating, but the whip is just so much better for Giolito just versus Castillo, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So well, like, yeah, I mean,
1: I have him yeah. like twelve spots apart in my pitching yeah. rankings, but yeah. So, I don't.
0: Yeah, the yeah, thing I, is, I don't even know that he has to get much better, Scott, to take that next step for him to pay off this value, right? Like, yeah, if he's right. just a mid three Z R ERA, a one point one zero whip, and ten Ks per nine, he's probably worth yeah. this.
2: He has some starts where he pitches poorly. In a way that, like, I think is less true of Aaron Nola, even when things go wrong. You know, like, I don't think Aaron Nola has those starts where it's like, oh boy, he he's just pitching really poorly, even if the end result will probably be somewhat similar. But yeah, I think he's fine at this cost. All
0: right, we're going to end today's podcast with Sandy Alcantara, and I realize not much efficiency here. We'll we'll be better. I swear, I promise. We'll start with Robbie Ray on the next podcast, but. I want to end with Sandy Alcantara because I've seen a lot of discussion throughout the industry. He's a very polarizing player this year. The cost is higher than it's ever been. The ADP is 43. So he goes in the middle of the fourth round of a 12-team league around some other proven talents. Aaron Nola, Lucas Gilito, as I mentioned. Uh, And last year, Sandy was great. 3.19 ERA, uh, 107 whip, 201 strikeouts, over 205 and two-thirds innings pitched, and uh, he was one of four starting pitchers to meet that mark. A lot of people in the industry, uh, and I'm not doing this to, like call anybody out, but what I've seen around the industry is that people don't want to invest in Sandy Diego because they say the strikeouts aren't there. The strikeouts aren't there for an ace. Now, I agree, throughout his career, they haven't been there. And full season st- statistics are more predictive than half season statistics. I realize that. But he made a tangible change last year, and his slider usage went up over the final 13 starts of the season, eight percentage points. I think that that is a pretty noticeable change, and on top of that, just in general, the entire pitch mix changed. He threw his change up uh, just 10% in 2020, 23.5% last year. So throwing his change up more, throughout the season throwing his slider more, and during that stretch, his swinging strike went, went up, to 15%. Now if he if he does that again, if that carries over, we're talking about somebody who the strikeouts could be through the roof. He hasn't done it yet. I understand that we're projecting him to do something he hasn't done. but I buy it. I buy the change. I buy what we saw last year and if the swinging strikes carry over, then the strikeouts are going to be there and as a result, the results are gonna be there and he already gives you the inning. So I think it's just like this perfect culmination of a fantasy ace before our eyes. And people are skeptical of it. I am not one of those people, Chris. What do you think?
2: Yeah, and and like we talked about with Zach Wheeler, even if the strikeouts aren't there, you know, even if the strikeout rate does regress more to league average, like it was in twenty twenty, he's really good at limiting con- quality of contact. You know, not not Julio Arias good, um, but really, really good at it, and. That helps, you know, he's always been someone who's outperformed his peripherals. And last season, the peripherals started to catch up to the performance. Um, you know, 347 X ERA, 319 ERA that's really good. So, yeah, I don't think he has to get much better to provide a ton of value. And I think there's a chance he does get better. It's not the most likely thing in the world, but he's still only 26. I thought he was a little older than that, to be honest. Um, and so that helps, and yeah, he's starting to develop those put away pitches. You know that yeah. you need. Like he's going to generate a lot of early swings, um, and those are going to lead to weak ground balls, and that's going to be good for him. But he's also starting to reach the point where you can really expect him to get more of those strikeouts. And mm-hmm. I think the one other thing that he could unlock is like using that four-seamer as a put-away pitch, too, more often. you know, Throwing it up in the zone, the sinker down in the zone, we started to see a little bit of that. Um, But that could be where the next step comes from, too.
0: Scott, in every way that you look for a starting pitcher to progress, Sandy Alcantara did it last year. He lowered the walk rate, the swinging strikes went up, his fastball velocity was a career-high 97.9 miles per hour. I'm buying the changes that he made midseason. I think that they're is a realistic chance we're talking about Sandy as like a top five starting pitcher in fantasy next year as a second round pick, a borderline first round pick. I'm in at this cost. I am in. If Sandy Alcantara is there in the fourth round, this is my Salvador Perez rule. I am drafting him every single time I see him there.
1: Yeah. So I I do think there's a chance he takes a step forward. You mentioned how his swinging strike rate got over 15% in his final what was it Thir- 10 starts
0: 13 starts i have
1: oh okay well it was even higher over his final 10 i kept <laughs> getting better uh, for the year he had a top 10 swinging strike rate it's kind of the opposite of walker bueller i guess where you know, sandy alcantara gets more swings and misses than walker bueller and then walker bueller ever has and, he just and so, he,
2: he gets a lot of those early swings that result in weak contact
1: yeah yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think with maybe better sequencing, whatever. I mean, he's certainly he's certainly equipped to get more strikeouts. I don't know that he will, and I don't think that he needs to to live up to this ADP. Is like one thing that I, I still feel like the fantasy baseball industry is behind on is the difference that volume makes. I mean, I hear people talk about it more, but I've been harping on this for years, and I, I think they're still missing it. With Sandy Alcantara, they say he doesn't get the strikeout rates of the ace. He doesn't have the K per nine of an ace. He had the 17th most strikeouts in baseball last year. I mean, for, for what he's going to provide to you in ERA and and how, how much that ERA helps because of the extra innings he's pitching, he had the fourth most innings per start among anybody who we expect to start this year. Uh, he was the fourth most last year among those we expect to still be contributing this year. The the help he provides in ERA, you know, seventeenth among seventeenth in, in, in total number of strikeouts doesn't sound like any kind of sacrifice to me. Like, oh my gosh, I I can't take this guy. He's going to kill me in strikeouts. to yeah. put you a little bit behind in strikeouts, but he's not going to kill you. Come on, it's not. And then, it's not Kyle Hendricks, right? And then the other thing is. He went nine and fifteen last year. Now the Marlins were terrible, and I don't expect them to be much better. But I would bet on Alcantara going that deep into games, having ERA around three. Give him any offense, I would bet on him going better than nine and fifteen. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah.
1: Like. Yeah, I think I think he's totally deserving of this pick. You know, if if he doesn't get better, fine, he'll still be deserving of this pick. I, I mean, who are the who would you have ahead of him here? I mean, Kevin Gosman, you wonder how he's going to break of him. out that season? ok. Robbie Ray. but but again, like yeah, no, that, that's I think Robbie Ray and Kevin Gosman are the two that big big question, marks because considering last year was, you know, kind of unlike yeah, the more rest upside of their career, I think, especially but... in Robbie Ray's case. I mean, who else could you put here? Chris Sale, Jack Flaherty? I mean, there's there's so yeah. many major question marks among any pitcher you might consider at this spot instead. Just just take Sandy Alcantara and 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 stop overthinking it.
2: If I if I can just play the devil's advocate for a moment, just because we all like him a lot and nobody's getting the the, no. the negative side of no. it. No, no, you're um, not allowed to, Chris. No. <laughs> he he's good at limiting hard contact, but it's not necessarily as good as you would expect given the overall numbers. Um, you know, like he he consistently outperforms his peripherals, but, you know, he's got a 351 expected well on contact for his career. For, for major league level, that's 369. So better, but not, you know, this outlier at it. And he does get hit hard. You know, his 39.4% hard hit rate, that's below average or above average, if you were. Um,
1: a lot of it's on the ground, I would suspect. Right, that's he's the one thing. Of the best is, ground ball pitchers. Yeah.
2: He gives up a lot of hard contact on the ground. I would, I would yeah. guess. I haven't done this search yet, but I would guess he has an inordinate, inordinate number of his hard hit balls in the into the ground. And you know, another thing that he does really well is get a lot of ground uh, double plays. He had 17 of them last season, so that helps as well. Um, but I guess there's a chance that like he's just been on the good side of variants for a couple of years and, and maybe that turns around and maybe he's more like a three, eight pitcher. But even then I think he's going to go deep into games and, and be really valuable. So I, even as the devil's advocate, I can't, uh, I can't send him to hell or whatever that would be. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, fantasy, fantasy.
0: Hell. I, I hear what you're saying, Chris, look, heck, any, any starting pitcher could finish with a 3.8 ERA. I just think that if he continues down this track that he's been going down in terms of... Mm -hmm the control being as good as it is and the strikeouts ticking up and getting as many ground balls as he does and pitching in a home park that is as big as Marlins Park. And Scott, you mentioned the sequencing and how, you know, maybe if they just change something up a little bit, oh, well, they brought in Jacob Stallings to be their catcher this upcoming season, who's regarded as one of the better catchers in calling games in all of baseball. Well, I just pitch framing, too. I think it's just the perfect blend for Sandy. So maybe I'm just like painting everything as a rosy picture, but... Uh, I don't I'm think so. I'm in man I'm he it seems- like upside the volume that he provides at this cost like yeah. I'm gonna update the rankings I'm gonna move Sandy ahead of Julio Arias I'd rather have him straight up than Julio Arias and if I'm skipping like I don't know that I would actually take him over Jacob Degrom or Bieber but like that's a move <laughs> that I'm gonna have to make in the rankings like if it's uh-huh. something that I'm actually gonna do in a draft then I'll I'll make it reflected in my rankings so. Uh, I'm all about it, man. I've got to come up with some kind of. Uh, I've got to get a sound drop for Sandy. Maybe something ridiculous like John Travolta in, in Greece, just like screaming out "Sandy" or something like that. I mean, look,
2: there's there's lots of options. You got <laughs> you got a Springsteen song about
0: a Sandy. Oh, you know, I don't know that guy, Chris. Who is that? No, I'm actually kidding this time. I'm just <laughs> just in case anyone oh, you know, out there, is,
1: you know who Springsteen is.
0: Okay. Oh well, yeah, I'm from the Northeast. <laughs> if I didn't, I think there's probably something seriously wrong with me. All right, we're gonna wrap there. Uh, The over-under was 90 minutes, and we have gone over 90 minutes. And we've talked about 13 starting pitchers. So we have no choice but to be more efficient over these next two podcasts. And I promise that we will. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. (laughs) Bye-bye.